and Alan is naked in the bed, curled up with Uncle Vern. Kielbasa. <laughs> 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 no. Yes. No. I yes. mean, but what 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 is Vern doing? I, I don't know. And by I the don't way, know. who I, goes to the bathroom in a stranger's house naked? Hello and welcome back to Hindsight is 5050. I'm the host Jay Rod with my co-host the ORG old retired guy. Dad, how you doing? I'm doing really good, man. I'm doing really good. I'm, you know, I'm a football junkie and I'm suffering. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I'm, you know, waiting waiting for the finale for the Super Bowl, but I'm suffering. I know that, you know, we had talked about you had an announcement. And, yeah, uh, so and that's um, worth making. Yeah, in this kind of lull week before before the Super Bowl, we we do have our own exciting news. Um, we're we're spreading multi platform currently, so I was able to um, sign up through Anchor and get our podcast up on Anchor, which is a podcast hosting service, and we actually have our own website through there as well. But they have spread us to Spotify, Apple, iTunes. Um, we are pending for Google Podcasts, and I, it shows us that we're currently on Amazon Music, but it, when I searched earlier today, I didn't see it, so there might be a 24-hour delay on there, but we should be on uh, Audible and Apple Music, or I'm sorry, Amazon Music as well. So we're spreading through those. Oh, and iHeartRadio. We're, we're on okay. iHeartRadio as well. So we're spreading through those. There'll be more to come, but we're trying to reach all of our um, major podcast hosting services so that whoever wants to watch us on whatever platform uh, you know we we want to be available there and kind of meet everybody's needs so if you guys like our content you know um, downloads on spotify likes on youtube itunes whatever you're using they always help us so we yeah and that, that is good news man i'm glad to hear that and hopefully uh you know, hopefully it'll it'll spread and and that'll be a good thing. But that's great news, and I know you put some effort into that, so good for you. And that's uh, thank you. That's a good thing. You yeah, know, hopefully it gets us some more exposure moving forward. That's the ultimate goal. Yeah, and we did get some feedback on episode twenty one. We're you know not a ton of feedback, but we got some. There was talk. You know, one of the mentions was uh, about attaching video or yeah, attaching video which you and I have talked about. We talked about it before we went on the air today. And, you know, again, that may be coming. We're looking at that possibility. If people want to look at me and you, because that's going to be about all there is. Um, it's a know, lot of big and sexy. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And a lot of a lot of You like bears? bears? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You ever seen a grown man naked? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, I get what they're saying, though. Um, we, and, and I've gotten some of that feedback from uh, uh, my buddy Big Dog before, too, where, you know, the, the video, it's not always that people are going to want to watch it 100% of the time and stare at our faces, but our interactions, when we laugh, when we're telling a story, I think some of 
the mannerisms people have when they're telling a funny story are even more funny than the story itself. And then the genuine laughter back and forth or genuine interest, I, I do think people are interested in. So so that's definitely something, you know, I can see us doing moving forward. We just got to make sure that we have the connection strength and everything else to, to make sure and that you, happens. And you know, this has happened to you and it's happened to me countless times where throughout, you know, my career, I would talk to somebody 30 times on the phone. And I knew their voice. I knew who it was when they called before caller ID even, but I didn't, I had no idea what they looked like. And then you finally see them and it's not that you're surprised or disappointed or anything like that. It's just that you can put a face to the voice and a face to the name. And that's probably a good thing. So, you know, yeah, I, 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 it's always been interesting when radio stations have done that. Yeah. Um, I, I remember Dave and Chuck the Freak, the first time I saw them, I was just like kind of stunned. It, it, was, it wasn't that their voice didn't match their look. It was just like, that's not what I pictured them as in my head. Exactly. Exactly. And we've, and that's one of the reasons, and you've been good enough to put up pictures. You know, I've, I've about emptied my phone of a lot of pictures that I have. And, and, <laughs> and, and I know you've put up videos. I and that, but that, That's cool. We want to get, but. You know, that's part of this is that it'd be nice to get for people to get to know us, to know who we are and what we are. And, and by listening, I think you figure out what we are and kind of who we are, but then you can put a face to the name. And just a couple and, of big idiots. Yeah. Yeah. And that's fair. <laughs> but, you know, in this, um, this down weekend, it, you know, HBO they're pretty smart. And in this down weekend, you know, I don't, I currently don't have HBO or Cinemax. I don't have that in my subscription TV package, but guess what? Another free, free weekend. weekend. Yeah. yeah. And it's still free today. I, I'm sure it's not going to last forever. I haven't even looked how long it's going to go on, but it's still going on now. Max is up watching some movie right now, <laughs> but you know, so, over the weekend, obviously the weather was still cold, a lot nicer today, but still not really nice enough to go out and do stuff, but it was, it was pretty cold. It was pretty much, you know, lock it up and hang in the house and, you know, get supplies. I think I got out a couple times to go to the store, but we watched, uh, Saturday, I believe your mom and I had movie day where we watched several movies. And one of them that, and I love this movie, it's called Signs. It's an M, M. Night Shyamalan movie. It stars Mel Gibson and Which Joaquin Phoenix. Which means it's twisted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but there's, all, yeah, yeah. Code for think, twisted. <laughs> I think Signs was his third major movie effort. Now, I'm, I'm sure he did other stuff before this, but... The Sixth Sense was his first. I loved that. Unbreakable, I believe, was his second. And I liked that a lot. The first time I watched it, it was one of those that I just couldn't, for whatever reason, if I was tired or whatever, I couldn't stay connected to it. But then when I devoted myself to watching it later, I a lot. And then Signs came out in 2002. 
again, Mel Gibson, Joaquin Phoenix. Um, it's, it's about extraterrestrials making a visit and their visit is not, you know, pleasant. It's, um, they're not here to say howdy. And, um, he has, he's a clergyman who has gone away from his faith. Um, his wife was killed in a terrible car accident. And I believe that caused him to go away from his faith. It's a really compelling story, I think. And it's one of those that it isn't, there's not a bunch of frightening, gory sequences. There's all this eerie, suggestive stuff, which that I tend to like movies like that, where it lets you, you know, you can make it be as bad as you want to make it be. And, you know, there's spots in that movie that cause you to, you know, jump up out of your chair, or at least me and your mom anyway. But well, it's got a lot of the buildup where you're like, when's it yeah. gonna happen? Yes. Like, just fucking scare me already. <laughs> and the kid, well, you, cause you know, it's coming. You just don't know when. And the kids in it are really good. Rory Culkin, who's Macaulay Culkin's, I believe, younger brother. He's in it. There's a, a young girl and I don't recall her name. She's in it. She's very good. One of the cool things is M. Night Shyamalan, for a while, and I don't know if he still does it, but for a while in his movies, he did the Alfred Hitchcock thing, where Alfred Hitchcock, in his movies, and he made some classics, you know, Psycho, amongst others, he would make a cameo appearance. Well, M. Night Shyamalan did that in... At least the first three that I recall. At least the six cents. Tarantino does that as well, doesn't he? He does that a lot. He does. He does. And and I like that. You know, we were we were talking about things that connect, and I like that. I I like the fact that he does that because he's not an actor and he doesn't claim to be one. And he'll just have a bit part. You know, it'll just be something small. But. Um, I like the fact that he does that, but I really enjoyed this movie. Uh, um, again, Mel Gibson goes away from his faith. He struggles with that. He eventually comes back to it. Joaquin Phoenix is his brother who has moved in with him after a very, uns well, successful, but not ultimately successful baseball career. He holds several minor league home run records but he also holds the minor league strikeout records. Yeah. <laughs> so he was one of those guys who swing would get away. up and swing, swing <laughs> away. So, and that, that's a key line in that movie, swing away. And I don't, for those who haven't seen it, I just think it's a really entertaining movie. It's suspenseful. Um, it's not blood and gore and guts, and it's not, you're not on the edge of your seat the whole time, but there's some real stories in it that are, I think, that I think are very good that make you think. And again, I like the suggestive stuff where I'm not, I don't know that aliens are walking around on the planet right now, but I like to think that they might be, you know, that it's a possibility. I'm not saying they are. And, and when you, when I watch this movie, it's like, oh yeah, yeah. That, Cause it starts with like crop circles and that kind of stuff. And yeah, it's got that eerie touch to it where 
it, you know, you're saying suspense, it, it, it builds, but it's one of those, um, the waiting kills you type things where it's like something bad happens and you're hiding and, and you're just waiting for the boom and it's just not coming. It just continues to build. There's a lot of that, which I think is very instrumental to that movie is, is the building of that suspense. But also you have kind of, I mean, like really good character roles because Mel Gibson, you know, we all know about kind of the nutty stuff he's done in real life and, and the character you hear about who he is. Sure. Yeah. Um, and, and he is this father um, who is gripping with reality. He did lose his wife. His son's got uh, pretty debilitating asthma. Yep. And, and so he, he's gripping and, and his brother's now living there. Um, and obviously his brother's dreams weren't as successful as he'd hoped. So, so he's dealing with like kind of the depression of his brother as well, all building on him as he lost his faith. And you introduce this new cataclysmic event of his life and, and you're watching him grip with reality. And on the other end, you've got Joaquin Phoenix who, you know, I, I would hope everyone remembers from gladiator. I mean, great actor but boy you love to fucking hate him and he's yeah. kind of the same guy in this like he's he's the brother and he's a good guy but at the same time there's just something about him where you're like dude just fuck he's edgy. off yeah, yeah. He's, and so he's, they, he's a their quarter bubble off somehow their characters yeah. are molded very well by their own personas or at least what you perceive them as and i think that builds to the story pretty substantially well, I want to say, you know, and again, I liked the first three M. Night Shyamalan movies a lot, but I also thought they got a little bit weaker as they went. I liked The Sixth Sense the best. Then I liked Unbreakable. I liked it, but I didn't like it as well as I liked The Sixth Sense. Signs I liked, but I probably didn't like it as well as the first two. I want to say he did The Village after that, and The Village, I just, huh. You know, Lady in the Water. Uh, he's made one since then, fairly recently, actually. And I, I'm not, the title's not coming to me. But I do, I kind of like the way he arranges the plot in a movie. And The Village and, is a great plot. It's just, and I think it was almost victim of its era. Because if, if you were to watch that new now in, in a, serial killer movie or said there there was an episode on a show um called blacklist where essentially yeah. a guy who had written a a book in this episode and, and he decided to take that book and create it as his own religion to create a small camp and the people we had there he raised there so they didn't know there was an outside world very similar premise to the village it actually was very entertaining um but with the village, I don't know if it was just the time that it came out and the movies that we were used to, like kind of riding off in the sunset, all that happy endings. But like, it, although I think it was a very good premise, you were just left feeling kind of disappointed with the end. Well, you guys, you know, we all went to the theater to see those four movies. You know, The Sixth Sense, Unbreakable, Signs, and The Village. So, I mean, it was, again, it was kind of like the music you were listening to at the time. It's like, you didn't have a lot of choice. 
Not all were, those. You guys were captives. Out of all those movies, I, I'd have to agree. I think Sixth Sense is the best, but um, Signs is the most rewatchable. It is. In the Sixth Sense, I don't know, and I would suggest this to anybody, you know, and I know everybody's heard of that movie. I thought that was a fantastic movie. But there's a, there's a, on the, on the, it is dark, but on the DVD, they talk about the making of that movie. And I'm sure that's on YouTube somewhere where they talk about how they, how they they use the, the color red. Yes. To signal things in that movie. Now I will tell you, and it was meant to do it subconsciously. That's why they did it. You know, the, this color red meant something. This vivid color red meant something in the movie. And it might be a dress. It might be a doorknob. It wasn't like, it didn't mean somebody covered in blood. It was just this bright, vibrant color red. In a noir-style film, too. You better be ready, because something's coming. And they even argued about that movie. And it, and it talks about it, like I said, in the, in the, on the DVD, and, and I'm sure it's on YouTube out there. They talk about when they were arguing that they were being too suggestive with the color red. Yeah, I was going to give it away. And I, I, d- did it give it away to you? Because it sure didn't to me. Now, once no. they said that, it's like, oh, yeah. No, that was one of the things that was like, <laughs> it's like bittersweet. So, I, and I mean, I'm sure a thousand people claim this, but when we saw this in the theater, whoever <laughs> I was sitting next to, it was about 15 minutes into the movie when I called the ending, but I didn't know it would be the ending. That's just, I said it out loud because that's what I was right. thinking. But then after watching it and then watching the DVD where you got to see all the little clue ins and the color red, that was the bittersweet moment because it was kind of like, oh yeah, I figured out one of the you know bigger mysteries of modern movies. And then... I was like, holy shit, they stamped it on my forehead the whole movie and I didn't see it. Exactly. That was and that was <laughs> but it was all subliminal messaging. It was. And I mean, I'm intrigued by that. I you know, the old story about the exorcist and the frothy coke and you know, being a, a nanosecond of a shot in there and you mm-hmm. know, it caused eight million people to go out and get a coke. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I mean I like that stuff, and and this stuff is in the making of the movie. Um, but I, I did love not to see pick... a study done on that, though. Where they were, let let's say someone who's never seen the film, you hook them up to a monitor where you're doing, you know, their their nerves, like their synapses. You're, you're doing their heart rate, their blood pressure, and they watch the movie, and then throughout the rest of the day after the movie's over, without telling them what's going on, you put that color red in their vision somewhere and and see what it does to them, like, metabolically. Because I I, I really do think subconscious, like, when you hear about it and then you look at it, you're like, "Eh, yeah, but I didn't notice. But it's like, okay, but you were preconditioned to have a subconscious thought because of the way they introduced it. So... You're not supposed to know that you're having a reaction to the color. And so it's like, I wonder if they could measure that after the movie to see if it lingered with you for even just an hour or whatever 
but to see if they had actually conditioned your brain to notice the color and instantly trigger a response in your body. You know, the, the, I read a book that Alan gave me to read, and it was about subliminal messaging. And this was years ago. And I do not read a lot of books. I well, never have. reason you're gay? Yeah. <laughs> I read lots <laughs> of articles, but I don't read a lot of books. But I read that book because it was fascinating to me. And there are so many things that advertisers depend on or and used to depend on, and that they actually outlawed over the years, about liquor ads and things in liquor ads that if you looked and if you looked close, you could actually trace what they were telling you. You know, they you could see. Now, you and I would open the magazine to that page, and we would look at that ad for that alcohol, and it would, it would be a glass with ice cubes in it. Well, inside the ice cubes, there's a Grim Reaper or something. At any rate, elevator music. People always joke about elevator music. There was subliminal messaging in that elevator music and in grocery store music all the stuff that was piped in for years and years and they actually outlawed it you know because it would be like uh don't forget to buy pop tarts <laughs> yeah it was a jingle that I, I can't remember it's new something but i can't remember what it's called but there's a term for it and it's the same reason you remember old commercials and, and yes. you know you know, yeah. more Ovaltine, please, or Nationwide yes. is on your side. Their jingles mixed with the the verbiage, it actually gets programmed into your brain. And playing that in stores was the best way to make people overshop. Mikey, Mikey likes it. Remember Life Serial? Mikey likes mm -hmm. it. You know, but but again, that, and I remember the title of that book. Now it was called Subliminal Seduction, and that was a great great book and it talked about all these things that are really happening and i mean they passed laws against them being able to do a lot of it because they were manipulating things now right now alexa you know you have alexa i have alexa you know alexa right now you're setting off a lot of people's alexa <laughs> sorry about that xbox yeah, turn true. off <laughs> that's it alexa off <laughs> that's that's what uh that's what a lot of gamers shout into the mic is xbox turn off because the some of the xboxes are voice activated and they, they can turn off other people's games if they're playing it through their tv alexa is a data collection system man and yeah. that's no that's no bullshit. Everybody Everything is that. now though. Every single and, app out there. But again, that's a data collection system that may provide suggestions based on the data collection. This subli these subliminal messages, and God knows I'm sure they're still doing it. But I mean they were doing this like in the sixties. And in well, the it, for a long time it was visual and then it became audio yes. cues, and now they've become more subtle with it. Like even a speaker. Like a, a very good speaker on any topic that's going to be at a seminar, their cadence, the, the, the pitch in which they speak, and the point in which they emphasize terms, and the, the slow cadence in which they speak, all of those things are subliminal messages that come through training as well. There, it actually, like if you go back through history and mankind and, and, and you study the science of it, 
those cadences, those tones, and all of that can either be suggestive or they can tell you that it's like this person is calm and confident. They're a leader. I should follow them. And yeah, so there's I mean, a lot of things out there that it's not even just a flash of a picture or a jingle for an ad, but it's someone has mastered the science of of what, you know, the humans respond to. Exactly. Exactly. No, I, I it was a it was a fascinating book um about those kind of things and again coming off we were talking about signs it's very suggestive it there are f- moments where it's frightening it's scary it'll startle you and that but it's suggesting a lot of things it's making you think and i don't know how i got sidetracked on the subliminal messages but i was fascinated by that book and i mentioned Alan gave me that book a long time ago. I think he had to read it for work when he was working for one of the big computer companies. Okay. But I had promised a story about Alan on the last podcast. Okay. And I wanted, and I wrote it down. It's on my notes right now about Wendy's uncle Vern. Okay. Now apologies to any, to Alan and Wendy because I wasn't there, so all I did was hear the story from Alan, and it happened years ago. So I'm going to relay it in the best way that I know, but I think I'm going to be pretty well factual in what the story, how the story was relayed to me. So Wendy, his, at that time she wasn't his wife, but they, were, they had been dating a while, and I think they were living together and traveling together. and. She had an uncle, Vern, who I believe had a place, I don't know if it was in Texas or Oklahoma, but as I recall, it was kind of a big, nice place. And, you know, he was a drinker. Alan's a drinker. I've been a drinker. I know how Alan can drink, which, you know, when we party, we party. You've been witness to that. And as we've gotten older, that's kind of slowed down, but we still have fun. And we well, and the more the, the more socialites in the room, the more excess is involved. That's true. That's true. And you know, we we've gotten older, but we still like to have a few cocktails. So anyway, and and it's my understanding that this Uncle Vern and his wife did too. And I I apologize for not remembering her name. So they go to his place, and you know, and they're going to stay like the weekend. Well. And it's a big house. Well, on the first night, you know, the, everybody stays up late. They have, you know, quite a few cocktails. Alan and Wendy go to bed. Alan, I, you know, for a variety of reasons, I think, chose to sleep naked. Oh, boy. You've done that. I've done that. But, uh, you know, I'm sure he had his reasons. But in the middle of the night, he has to get up and go to the bathroom. And because the house is large and he's unfamiliar, you know, he finally remembers where the bathroom is. So he goes down the hallway, goes to the bathroom. As he's walking back, he goes into the room, he's to bedroom, he snuggles up in bed. 
Well, in a few minutes, he, he awakens to see Wendy and her aunt standing in the doorway of the bedroom. And Alan is naked in the bed, curled up with Uncle Vern. (laughs) (laughs) No. Yes. No. I mean, but what what is Vern doing? I I don't know. I don't know. Who goes to the bathroom in a stranger's house naked? Naked? I don't know. And I don't maybe he naked. Get and I, I'm not going to swear to that. I know naked was in there somewhere, so maybe he put boxes on. Walked, but to the he's bathroom. dick to butt with a grown man. Well, I mean, either he, way, it sounds like they were pretty <laughs> close to spooning. Got if they were snuggle action <laughs> with, <laughs> with Uncle Vern, who's at least ten years older than him, <laughs> and at the time, Alan's probably in his middle to late fifties, <sighs> and so, you know. And so, so he, what does Wendy say? I don't know. I can't remember how it happened. I don't think there was a lot said. I think she woke him up and and she goes, You're in the wrong room. <laughs> no shit. <laughs> so he goes back to her to their room. So then the next morning, you know. Her aunt and uncle are and Wendy are out having coffee on the deck. And Alan gets up and showers and he goes out and you know, there's this needless to say, there's a little bit of tension. Nobody wants to talk about <laughs> what happened the previous night. And so after <laughs> after a couple of minutes where people are, you know. He, he he knows what happened. He goes, and I mean, this is what this is. Alan, this is what he does. He goes, so what the fuck's the problem here? Yeah. <laughs> you don't like it. And so then, obviously, everybody starts <sighs> cracking up. But I, I'm sure there are some inaccuracies. But that's the premise of the story: is that he was in bed naked with Wendy's uncle. And you just don't know how you don't wake up from that. I mean, he is a great big man. He is. Well, like if he climbed in my bed, I'm waking up. Well, Uncle Vern may have woken up. I mean, he may have awakened, but he might have been scared to do anything. <laughs> or liked it. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, hey. But, <laughs> so oh, anyway. man. So, <laughs> anyway, that's the how Alan. How recover from that? That's the Wendy's Uncle Vern story, as best I recall. And like I said, I'm sure there's some inaccuracies, but that that's what I remember him telling me. And I got to tell you. The whole time on the phone when he's telling me I'm just dying laughing because I'm picturing it in my mind and picturing mm. him and his reaction, even to the point of having coffee on the deck with this tension <laughs> in the air. And uh, and his, you know, we had talked about how he's an icebreaker and, and uh, you know. <laughs> that glad was... we're going to be having all the sex. <laughs> <laughs> and that was, the, that was oh, his way God. the next the uh, post-naked incident of breaking the ice by saying, what the fuck's the problem? (laughs) (laughs) Ah, that's good. It is. It is. No, we had, you know, we had talked about this 
why don't you go ahead and talk about the new segment that I, you know, that I think we both want to try each week. Yeah. So the new segments, uh, called above or below 50 and what that is kind of a, a play on words about our name being hindsight is 50, 50. Um, we're, when we bring up a topic where we have, uh, one of our opinions involved and we maybe we'll disagree, maybe we agree with one another. Um, what we're going to do is when, let's say I ask you the question, you're going to tell me what you believe about said person or said thing and give me the percentage in which you believe it. So if you have some doubt, you might say, you know, I think Michigan's going to win next weekend, but I'm like 60% sure. Uh, if it's below 50, obviously it's because you don't believe. Uh, but we'll, we'll get the opportunity to explain our, our views and opinions to each other uh, over a topic and kind of give our percentage that way when there's things um, referring to potentially the greatest of all time or something like that, you don't have to give a definitive answer that, you know, anyone can contradict with another name. You're going to give the person you chose the reason why and the percentage that you believe. And, and it, so that's going to... And if it's a statement that's made, and it, it could be about anything, it's you might not agree with it 100%, but like you said, if you had to go above 50 or below 50, do yep. you agree more or disagree more, and why? So, Maybe we should just call it gun to your head. <laughs> <laughs> Fork to your nose. Yeah. Um, but I heard a discussion the other day, and to to kick this off, this first the first uh, new segment off, I would like to pose this question to you. Okay. A lot of people think Tom Brady is the greatest of all time. I, I happen to be one of them. But with, you know, Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen and Justin Herbert and others and lots of great quarterbacks, and th those are just the really young ones, 20 years from now, are people that follow the NFL still going to be saying that Tom Brady was the GOAT, the greatest of all time? What Are you above 50 or below 50? I'm above 50. Okay. Uh, I'm 99. Okay. I believe that people 20 years from now will still be saying Tom Brady's a GOAT for, for multiple reasons. One, considering his draft stock and the situation he was brought into, um, not only did that make his journey different, so he's always going to stand out for the conversation, but he was also thrown into a situation early on as someone rather untested, um, and, and he succeeded. But throughout his career, you know, uh, we're not talking scripted or not, we're just you know, calling it as it was, throughout his career, he has gotten several calls and several lucky bounces that if they go any other way, he doesn't have as many rings or playoff wins as he has. Um, he, he And that just, it just happens to pan out that way. He also had a coach and coaching staff which drafted in a substantially unique way that gave him utility weapons instead of studs. So instead of having the major deep threat all the time or having the best running back in the league, he, he seemed to get much more well-rounded athletes that were, you know, hidden gems or diamonds in the rough. And it's like, 
the team that was around him, I, I think, the, or the teams, plural, that were around him, I, I believe are vastly underrated. But he does have this ability to make almost anyone better. And a lot of even really good quarterbacks uh, don't do that. Um, so so when you're talking about the bounces and the, the calls going his way to get to the record that he had, that's going to be pretty unattainable in and of itself to play for the amount of longevity that he had is uh, almost unheard of. And so I don't think many people are going to be able to do that, but to not just play for that long, but to play that long and still be successful, I think is the biggest thing for me. Because when I look at Patrick Mahomes, um, when I look at, you know, Joe Burrow, when I, when I look at, um, I'm sorry. Who's the quarterback for the Bills? Josh Allen. Josh Allen. When, Trevor when I look Lawrence. at these guys, you know they are either evasive or physical. Um, and, and Joe Burrow's probably the most stature and play style like Brady, but even he has already taken a, a massive injury to his leg, and obviously he's recovered from that, but. That's going to hold up for so many years, and having that happen early on, I think, does, you know, let, let's say you're going to have a 20-year career. Well, maybe it's 17 now because you had that. Your cartilage is going to be gone by year 17. Your, your knee's just going to hurt too much. So I think that the play styles of, if not all, definitely most QBs, is not sustainable like Brady's was. When he took a hit... He went flat to his back a lot of times and didn't take that shoulder jarring hit to to dislocate or tear his shoulder. Um, he, he got lucky to not spike because he has a high release. He didn't spike his hand or his elbow off of helmets as often as other QBs frequently do. And because he doesn't throw sidearm or dive and throw sidearm like Mahomes, or scramble and throw a sidearm. Not saying he can't, but because it's not a standard mechanic of his, he's not only not going to have that elbow surgery issue, but he's also not exposing his body into the positions where if he were to get depleted or planted onto the ground, that he could separate his shoulder or, again, have to have some sort of elbow surgery. So in his case, not only draft from you know, draft all the way through accomplishments, but then to include longevity and his health during that to sustain his ability. I just don't see it being possible twice in my lifetime. Well, you, you know, when you look, he's won seven rings, seven, and he's been to 10 Super Bowls and he's won seven. And when you look at, like great quarterbacks, Aaron Rodgers I, is a great quarterback. He's 38 or 39 years old. He's won one. You know, uh, Brett Favre played for 20 years. He was a Hall of Fame quarterback. He won one. Elway played a long time. He won two right at the end, but he did win two. Peyton played forever. He won one. Uh, I take that back. I think he won two. He won one with Denver and one with the Colts. At any rate, that's Even not with seven. guys who won it. Yeah, I mean, like when you look at Ben Roethlisberger, he won one early. Mahomes won one early, but 
They're still and Roethlisberger I, won one later with Bass. Yeah, but I, I'm yes. just saying, like, even guys who won it super early in their career, yeah, they're still not chasing down the leader. Seven's just a huge number. And this past year... Jordan's I, considered the GOAT in basketball, and he didn't have seven. You're right. You're That's right. my argument. Like, and, and I'm not... No. I, I was kind of going along with your point, like... No, I, for most people, and except for the LeBron guys, but for most people, if you're not going to call Bill Russell the greatest because of championships, but you're just going to talk about modern basketball and say Jordan's the greatest, okay? But we hold six rings up there, like it's this unattainable thing. Brady has seven in football, in which. I mean, people don't stay around the league as long. People don't well, win rings as often. And you forget, I mean, he he didn't, even though Tampa Bay wasn't very good this year, he did not have a bad year at 45 years old. Last year, he led the league in like five categories at 44. This is, I don't think we'll ever see this again. I'll ever see this again. Not in my lifetime. Not somebody playing this long at this level. And I don't think you can because his... Okay, this would be another point. In my opinion, greatest pocket presence of all time. For sure. To sidestep, to slip, and to stay, and to know when to leave, or to be the slowest guy on the planet and run for a first down. Yeah. He is the greatest pocket presence I've ever seen. So to not only have that awareness, but also not be the type of athlete that can get yourself hit hard, I, ju- I, I don't see anyone else. I, I just don't see it being possible for the simple fact that it's like, you, okay, Warner, Kurt Warner was a, a statue of a quarterback. He didn't run very much. He also took a lot of hard hits. He wasn't as good. He doesn't have as many rings. But the other ones you're looking at that are, let's say, more athletic, they're all going to risk their career earlier on and i think because brady's career was based off of him being that statuesque uh quarterback but also having the best pocket presence it allowed his game to mature for him to read the defense but he never had to adjust for getting a step slower you know he was always the same speed i agree with that 100 percent. i also think that like jordan Ultra competitive. I mean, just mega competitive. And well, I think that's you, what the Super Bowl in Tampa Bay was, right? Tell when me, you I have that can. drive, <laughs> that thing that drives you. Like yeah. everybody says, you know, Jordan ran practices, and there were fights in practice, and a lot of them. Um, and Brady is not opposed to getting in a, a teammate's grill, and it happens regularly. You know what else? Just what they both have in common. It, what they both have in common with that competitive spirit. They understand when somebody's just better. Yeah, they, that's fair. They, they will tolerate a personality as long as that person gives it their all and shows up on game day. Jordan did it with Rodman. Brady did it with Gronk. That's fair. It's like. And but they both are. You you can't put them on a. You can't put those guys on a leash. 
They might be it, the best thing that ever happened to your team and the worst thing that ever happened in the media for your team. But if you put them on a leash, they're not going to be able to perform once the game starts. And he just, I think like Jordan did, understood how to manage that and finesse it to where it's like, listen, we'll let you run a little wild, but when it's time to reel you in, you fucking get here. He got the best out of Rodman, Jordan did, when everybody thought Rodman was done. He got the best out of Randy Moss when everybody thought Randy Moss was done. You yep. know, when the Wings, when the Detroit Red Wings won a bunch of cups in a few years and Iserman still played, he's now their GM, but when he still played, the Wings, you know, I don't know if they had a salary cap or it was something that I don't think they did for a while. So the Wings could bring in a guy who was just a sniper and people would say, well, you don't want that guy. He's a locker room cancer. That didn't happen in Detroit. They could bring in guys like Pat Verbeek. or some um, bad motherfuckers, uh, though, well, in Detroit. Like, that oh, they did. And Brendan Shanahan and him and, and Nick Lidstrom. But when you came into that locker room, it's like it's all for one, baby, and one for all. And... When they would bring in these guys, um, I'm trying to think, Luke, um, great score, Robitaille. Um, uh, you know, um, Chris Chelios. I mean, Chris Chelios was probably the most hated man in Detroit when he played for the Chicago Blackhawks. And the Wings got him in a trade at the deadline, and he was a wing for a lot of years and helped win some cups. He's got and a restaurant. The, they become, yeah, more than one. Yeah, they become like citizens. They become good citizens. And I but think that's the Patriot way, and Brady certainly was a big part of that. And, and I think a lot of it has to do with what you're saying. He's not, it's not an iron fist. He's going to let you be you. But at the same time, there's a level of expectations. Yeah, and, and if you let him down, he's not afraid to let you have it and to get rid of you. Yeah, and I, um, I, I think that's what both of those guys have in common. And even though Eiserman was very quiet, he was a quiet leader, I think he was one hell of a leader on those Wings teams because they would bring in guys like that. Brett, Brett Hall. But the difference bring, for me was the, the team community, right? Like, Yeah. So when, you, when I look at Brady and Jordan, uh, even uh, Brady even dealt with LeGarrette Blount and got good out of him. Absolutely. Um, Corey Dillon was poison in Cincinnati. He yeah. went there and won a ring. And it's like, but what they did to me was, a, I, I, I like what you brought up with the wings, but I, I do think they're two separate categories, kind of. Like they're the, they're the same idea, but with Brady and with Jordan, they had the the wild card or the X factor on their team, and they had to finesse how to let them run free, but also hone them in as to where with the wings, just like I think the Pistons, when they were the bad boys, when they had Rodman, I think there were so many bad motherfuckers on that team that people <laughs> were afraid to get wild and free. I mean... Like, I, I'm sure something probably happened to Rodman that kind of was the event that changed his persona. But I think that persona was always inside of him anyways. But I don't probably. think he dare yeah. let it go while he was in Detroit. You know what? That's that, uh, that's fair. 
that's a that in the wings locker room i feel like it was probably similar because i yeah, mean there were a, some bad dudes and, it, and you <laughs> got wings, you know and, and again with the wings and with the patriots you got a coach there who's not going to take any shit and everybody knows it everybody knows it you know they they had a kid named noah gray who played at country day then he played at notre dame and you know and i he's either drafted real late or undrafted well the patriots had a rash of injuries he ended up playing he had like over 200 yards in a game and you know he was late for a meeting the next week he didn't play he didn't play well there's it's like nobody is two. above this uh and and again i think scotty bowman in in the wings they joke about it the guys who played for scotty bowman and i believe he won eight cups as a coach i think he has he beat toe blake for the all-time record i think or either beat or tied him but anyway he was all business but you know behind closed doors like players would make fun of him. They used to joke about Bowman on the ice. They called him Scooter because <laughs> he'd put skates on and go out. You know, he's an older guy right. on skates, and they <laughs> called him Scooter. But it's like everybody knew you didn't. So maybe in those cases, it was more of a team thing. But certainly Brady and Jordan had an influence, and they right. knew they knew how to manage or to help manage those people that needed well they had the name managed. and they could back it up right so that was that yeah. that to me was huge but there's it, when you're talking about you know belichick and them it, it there's two types of coaches to me i mean obviously there's different coaches all over but when when you're talking about someone who can rein people in versus someone who can't someone who demands respect doesn't ask for it there's two types of coaches and I, and the the difference to me when you notice the difference it's when they go get the fuck out of here. There's the get the fuck out of here coach that throws you from practice and expects you tomorrow. And there's the get the fuck out of here coach that's like you made me say it, you're not playing for this team anymore. <laughs> and that to me when you have that like cutthroat mentality where, where even if really good players don't have to fear it but they still have to respect it. It's like, oh, no, we're not talking about some $3,000 fine that you don't give a shit about because you're making millions. I'm talking about you're on the bench and you can answer to the media and, by the way, do it again and you won't be on my team. Oh, yeah. To me, those mentalities, they really do reinforce bringing the problem childs in and making them become more of a locker room hero instead of the cancer. Yeah, it, it's, you know, there's different ways of doing things, but I think you're, I think you're right. I don't disagree with you at all. Certainly Brady and, and, and let's not question aside from being slow afoot, which even he admits that he is aside from not having the body of Adonis, which even he admits that he doesn't have, he's taking care of himself. He knows how to fall. Best scarecrow I ever saw. And the and you're right about the pocket <laughs> presence, buddy. I'm big on that. Burrow shows me a lot of that, but he doesn't have it like Brady. But he, Burrow shows me a lot of that. Um, but yeah, Br- Brady for being slow afoot. I mean, 
he could sidestep somebody or step up and all of a sudden, you know, on third and 11, you just got an 18 yard gain because of, he took one side step or stepped up one step and avoided and he does, a sack. He does that. He, he does that hitchback where he steps back and takes that one last drop, whether it's three, five or seven, that one last drop step puts him far enough deep, but it's a longer stride than the other ones. So it draws the DNs down. And then when he climbs the pocket, it creates the perfect horseshoe. So he's not just sensing pressure all the time. He's actually setting up blocks for his linemen. And because his linemen are able to peel back like that to block, I think it also slows down inside blitzes because they're oh, allowed to. I think it does a lot. It, you know, and they always say that a quarterback and you, you played some DB, I never did, but you can see it on TV where a quarterback, will look a safety off. Mm-hmm. Brady does, he does so many of those things and he does them so well that we take it for granted. And but, he's, he's the best I've seen at the shoulder fake too. But I, I would, I'm, oh, for sure. Like a and standard would, pump fake with your hand. If I don't see you winding up and I'm a DB 20 yards downfield, I'm not worried. I'm, you're not it, faking anyone here. He'll rock you his throw whole your body. shoulder yep. and it's like, oh, shit. He'll you rock know? his whole body. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, would, I would agree with you. And I'm, if I'm not at 99, I'm, I'm very close to that. On, I think 20 years from now, for all that he's accomplished, I don't think that we're going to see another guy like this in my lifetime. I really don't. And, and I think he, 20 years from now, he will be the goat Uh, until Brady came along. I thought Joe Montana was the goat. I did, but Brady is the goat in my view. And I think 20 years from now he will be. Now we said it was a dead weekend as far as football. And, you know, we know it's coming to an end. And the big game Sunday, and and you and, the and Pro Melissa. Bowl blows. Well, that's, I don't even want to go there. Skills challenge, baby. I don't even want to go there. They had that Brett Hundley at the Pro Bowl, the guy for the Ravens that you know yacked up the ball at the goal line in the playoff game against the Bengals. He made the, the Pro Bowl. Yes. Yeah, I saw him. I saw him. Come on, uh, in the passing competition. Come on, dude. I. Oh, that's painful. But we got the game to look forward to this weekend. We probably should m- make a pick quickly. But before we do that, I know that you and Melissa and the boys are coming down. We usually do the Super Bowl together. So we'll have some you know, food that we're not supposed to eat but that we like. And hopefully we'll have a good game. But I have for years just stewed about this and the only thing i can do is stew because nothing's ever going to happen when i was working and i'm not anymore but when i was working i was so pissed that the super bowl wasn't on saturday night because you got two weeks what does a day make a difference and i think about i think about the bars (laughs) and i know the super bowl anyway draws a hell of a crowd to bars but if you had on saturday very few people got to get up sunday and go to work and you when i made that comment to you about on saturday you said well why not have the monday after the super bowl a holiday 
I'm fine with that too. That see, that would be like if you if you move it to Saturday, and this isn't to you know say it wouldn't work. I I do think it would work, but if you move it to Saturday, the only problem with the bars that are not pubs is the young crowd, which is a a large percent of the population that doesn't care about football, is still going to be at all those bars, and because all the bars are packed. The older crowd is going to have to get mixed in and it's going to be loud music with the game on a side TV and all that. And it's one of those things where I still think it could work, but I don't think you'd get the highest profit out of it as to where if we had Mondays, you'd have the same thing as like any other holiday where you can get a liquor license extended to have, you know, serve until 3 a.m. or whatever the case is instead of midnight one whatever your curfews are but you you could get the extended license for that weekend and have the following day be a holiday and to me it's almost past the point of of revenue and common sense it's a point of like almost being like the most american i mean we're talking a predominantly american sport even other countries are going to call it north american football or whatever right um and you're talking about something that is the biggest event, uh, or sporting event in our country that people all over the United States unite for. And so what better representation of what our country represents and the things that we enjoy and experience by having our modern-day gladiators perform on the biggest stage, and by the way, take the next fucking day off. I mean, it just... It makes too much sense in my mind. I'm sure there's people who are on the other side of the fence, but it just, it, you're going to have it at night. You're going to have a, this huge event that's a blowout that's celebrated everywhere. And it is iconic across the globe for Americans to do this. Make the next day a holiday. Mm-hmm. I, I, it all makes sense to me. I was just looking up real quick. In twenty the twenty twenty two Super Bowl, um, the viewership is predicted to be five billion around the world. Total viewing audience in the United States is over two hundred and eight million. By the way. While we're all still recovering and reeling from the pandemic, what better way to boost your economy than allow people to go out to the bar on days they normally can't go, a Sunday. Therefore, the Saturday drinkers are still there. Sundays are going to come in. And you now have parties. Knowing that they can have a hangover the next day and not go to work, what better way to boost your economy? Well, there's, that's a good point. That's a good point. I just, you know, for years I've chapped, again, not, I wasn't really given a lot of thought to making it a national holiday, but they should. Whatever, whatever way it works, and I mean, you bring up a good, several good points about just Monday's a national holiday. It, it's, it is. It's a national, everybody gets that day off, you know, but whatever way they can make it, and maybe Sunday is better. To to have it where Monday you get Monday off. I just it's never made sense to me 
And I've just always wondered why. And I was always focused on Saturday, but either way, and now it doesn't matter. I mean, I'm retired. I don't go to work anymore. But either way, it just seems like it only, it, it just makes good sense to do something. I They're not going to. I mean, it's, they Your print money. Would be they even do what more they more astronomical. I mean, that's I, you would think it's a better you, business decision if you if somebody sat down and pitched it very well to the owners in the NFL. I there would be potential for them to lobby and and get it to actually steamroll, but it's like nobody in their right mind is going to go in that room and pitch a new concept to guys who, you know control most of the wealth in america i mean they're not you're not gonna go in there and pitch this new idea where you might get shit on so i don't i don't think anybody has the balls to do it and without the steam from those horses uh, you you're not gonna get the national attention to the idea that you want or need to to have any consideration towards it well you know we're we're approaching the you know, the game is on Sunday. Yep. And I'm looking at, I I just looked at my score app. It's got the Eagles as a one and a half point favorite. The total's at 50.5. I would tell you right now, I would take the over. And I'll take the Chiefs. And I don't even need the points. I would I would predict my prediction is the Chiefs and the total score between both teams will be more than fifty point five. I think this game's gonna be, you know, a thirty four twenty eight, that kind of game. Maybe even forty one thirty four. What do you think? I would take the over as well. Um I, I'm right there with you on points. If it's not um, you know, 34, 35 to 28, then if it's not back and forth like that, one of the teams is going to take off. So I think there'll be more than 50 points. Um, but I, I think the Eagles are going to win. I, I like, I, I think Mahomes is currently a better quarterback. I don't know what hurts his future is going to be. Um, but you know, obviously he's more established. But the the excitement and love that I see on the Eagles team, I, I don't know that I see the same thing with the Chiefs. It always seems like there's some sort of drama. Um so through thick and thin, I feel like the Eagles probably have a little bit more I don't know, foundation to stand on to recover in a big game like a Super Bowl if they need to. But also, I just, although I think the Chiefs are more electric, I think the Eagles are more well-rounded. Well, see, I, I would agree with you about a couple of things. The first being is that one of those teams could explode. I mean, this game could be 41-17. And I think if that happens, I think the Chiefs have a better chance of doing that because sure. they can be so electric i do i but you know we'll see i you know i'm i'm not a gambler but if i bet it i would i would bet the over and i would 
I would take the Chiefs, and it's, I'd certainly take the points if they were giving it to me. But there's only a, right now it's a point and a half. But yeah, I would I would take the Chiefs. But you're right. I mean, the Eagles are hot. We'll see, and they look like they've got all the pieces, man. They got a good defense well, with a lot that's... of stars. They got a good running game. You know, Hertz is playing very well. They've got, you know, AJ Brown is a freak of nature. You know, yeah. I mean, and... they're well, and they do. I don't know if you've watched them a ton, but they do something that I, obviously it happens throughout the league, but not as often. They pull their center, and and that's that Jason Kelsey we've talked about, and he's yeah. got on him and when you pull the center around and he's the lead block and he's more agile because he's a smaller center he's able to get out to a linebacker or safety i mean that can create some big gaps and a lot of problems but you know when we talk about exploding i absolutely if one team explodes i think it's much more likely that the chiefs would and and that to me plays into the launch it air raid style that patrick mahomes is so good at but if we're in a tight game and that, you know, kind of flashiness and downfield big plays is is out the window. If both teams are – if it's a barn burner, you, Chiefs might have the edge. But I'm talking if we're in just a standard game, close to 50 points or less, that's where I see um, the Eagles winning just because the dimensions of Jalen Hurts, his calmness. And his ability to read and throw, but also having those wheels and having that power, it's it's something that I think is a tricky combination. When you look at his stature, you don't see him as this major threat, but he's accurate, he's decisive, he's got wheels, but he's also got that squat power. So when it's third or fourth in one, yeah, their QB sneak is so fucking good that it's yeah. like in a big game like this, it might not really be a gamble to them to get that yard. You know, I think Philly, you know, man for man has a better defense than KC. But I'll tell you what, KC's got some playmakers. Frank Clark, Michigan guy, Mike Dana. He went to Central, then transferred (laughs) to um, Michigan. Um, He was a graduate transfer. And Chris Jones. And I mean, Chris Jones is one of those guys. He didn't have a postseason sack until last week. And I don't know how, because, you know, Aaron Donald was hurt a lot this year. And I think most people would agree that Chris Jones is the best D tackle in football. Maybe if Aaron Donald is healthy, he's that good. But these guys are playmakers. And Frank Clark, time and time again, that guy will make plays. Um, I think man for man, Philly's got a better defense than them. But man, those three playmakers, boy. Well, they, and, it, and they just they do things at opportune times, you know. Some of it to me does come down to the coverage on Brown. I, you know, as much as sure. I'm talking about, you know, the well-roundedness of that, that that to me is the tipping point, right? Like if you so the tipping point for each team, if you let Kansas City take off running, and you got to catch up, boy, this is going to be a long fucking day. But I think the other side of things is if you don't figure out how to get your hands on and slow down Brown, I think he's about to show everybody what kind of man he really is. And he's one of those dudes that it's like, he might not show up. I don't know. 
But if he does, even in the NFL, he's a man among boys, and he is going to get that ball and run somebody over. And, and, and you that know, type of physicality in a huge game is tough. I, I mean, it's tough to deal with with receivers like that. And the kid, I'm trying to think of his name. Um, Alabama? Yeah. Devontae Smith. Oh, lightning in a bottle? He is. He is. So, you know, you and, and you start doubling A.J. Brown, and I don't even know if you can. See, to me... It's real. It's simple, and it's to me. It's it it it's simple more times than it's not. You got to get pre- to you got to get pressure. You got to get pressure. Well, you got to have Jones. You got to with nickel to his side. If you you, you got to get pressure because if he has time, you can't cover AJ Brown all day. You can't cover uh, Devontae Smith all day. You just can't. Those guys are, and they have good tight ends too. So. We'll see. We had to put it out there. I got the Chiefs. You got the Eagles. We both got the over. And Watch so, it be like seven to nine. And when <laughs> and we'll have yeah yeah six to three. Yeah. <laughs> I saw a game this year in college football. I wish I could remember it. I turned on the game, and the score was five to two. And I was like, what the fuck happened? It blew. I mean, that was like, uh, I don't know how many years back, but you and I made a joke about the one person who always bets that the first score in the Super Bowl is going to be a safety. They made millions. Millions. It was a few years ago, but I'm sure you remember what I'm talking about. I I remember remember the Lions lost a playoff game to Dallas, I want to say in the 70s, five to nothing. Uh, I remember when you were a kid, in fact, probably a little bitty kid, Nick Davis, you know, the Manchester kid who played at Wisconsin and won a couple Rose Bowls. Manchester played arch rival Clinton. Manchester won the game two to nothing. Ooh. Yes. And that, I mean, those two schools, those two high school teams had been playing football for over 100 years. And while Nick Davis was playing, and Nick Davis was a great player for this area and for the league that he was in, and he was big enough to, or good enough to play in the Big Ten, and he actually played a year or two in the pros. But he was the fastest guy I ever saw on a high school field in person. And, uh, yeah, he, he played in that game, got his jaw broken in that game, and they won that game two to nothing. <laughs> so it happens. It's rare, but it happens. Now, last week, you know, what used to be the big signing day, February 1st, you know, that happened. Now now there's an early signing day, which a lot of things are done by then. Michigan didn't really make a lot of noise on the on national signing day, which is February 1. But Michigan had made a lot of noise in the transfer portal. You know, Dion going to Colorado, and regardless of our personal opinions about him, and I think yours and mine are similar. I'm Dion's doing making some noise up there already. Now he turned that thing around at Jackson State on a dime because Jackson State was a prestigious school for a long time athletically. Walter Payton played there. 
Um, and they've put guys in the pros. I believe Lem Barney, who was a Hall of Famer who played for the Lions, he played there. But they had been a doormat for a while, and he turned that around, and he's already making noise at Colorado with, he got some guys to transfer. Certainly the NIL is involved in all of this. And oh, it that, seems I mean, like he just makes each school so much money just being there. Well, it's true. And, and, but, you know, and, and again, that can be a topic for future dead times because the NIL is a prickly pear and there's a lot of layers to that onion. But as I was looking, this is like the rich get richer. Alabama, by the time National Signing Day was done, they had 23 players in the ASPN Top 100 that they signed. Five of them were five stars. There's not very many five-star recruits. And lots of them, no, that's many times incredible. they don't turn out. But they have the, the, you don't get to be a five-star if you got nothing. Cause well, the, not, way, the way I look at that, though, is let's just say hypothetically they do pan out. There's only yeah. 11 dudes on the field at once. Well, and five the, of them are five stars. <laughs> yeah. And 23 out of the top 100, including the top linebacker, top safety, and two of the top three quarterbacks and two of the top three running backs in the whole country. Georgia finished second. And again, these are all just, they're rating their classes and it, and it's based on analytics. It's, you know, you get scores for, how many, where the players are rated and, you know, where their average rating is among all the scouting services and all that. But Alabama, they did it again and Georgia's right there. And, you know, and like I said, Dion's making noise. So I think that once again, Nick Saban and you, I don't particularly like the guy, but man, you got to give him a lot of credit. Well, I think people forget, like... He's got this thing figured out, man, and he's got it figured out before everybody else does. But I I think people forget about the people who didn't make it on the field. I mean, like, oh, when you talk about how good their recruiting is, like, let's not forget that uh, Alvin Kamara wasn't getting playing time at Alabama. Right. Well... Well, so you he went one hell of a fucking backfield if he's not playing. To Tennessee. I mean, well, they had I and I and I'm not don't quote me on this. They lost several kids to the transfer portal this year that were four star recruits. Because, like you said, there's Alabama okay, Alabama loses their left tackle. Okay. He's all American, and this is hypothetical. He's all American left tackle. They bring a guy in who's a five-star, and maybe he's 19. He was just waiting to play. I mean, this they just reload, man, and they can reload on the fly. This It's scary. And, and you know, the, the they rated Georgia second. Well, you know Georgia's got a damn good class. And I maybe, as it turns out, Georgia will have a better class than Alabama. But I think it's also impressive that whether you like him or not, Dion is making a big splash at Colorado. He's going to make him relevant again, for sure. I mean, wherever I, he goes, he brings a crowd and he brings the thunder with him. And, and I, you know what? I always liked Colorado. 
yeah, I don't they did Bill, Bill McCartney show. for years. I like their colors. I like their mascot. Their uniforms. Yeah. They, yeah. The, uh, the gold and black and the, the live buffalo coming out on the field. I mean, that's well, awesome. He's going to have something unique. And I'm sure there are other coaches out there like this. Um, but, you know, it, the shit talk, the speak, the slang, whatever you want to call it, it's not a racial thing. It's just kind of like a sports thuggery thing. Um, but you and I don't really care for that at all. We don't. But as a guy who's commanding respect, as a guy who's going to be their leader, their coach, and can bring in talent to help some of these guys who need to be surrounded by it, he can speak their language. So whether it's talking to the press, pumping up the media, or getting to his team, but being able to communicate on their level um, with with the terms, the, the terminology and the grit and the attitude that they have, I think that's a special bond that he's going to have that builds teams quickly because, again, I don't know what the term is, but what whatever that shit-talking speak is, he's got it. I mean, he he knows how to run his mouth with the best of them, but if he's getting the respect out of these guys and able to communicate in a way that they hear it and they understand it, you're going to have something pretty special on your hands. You know, and I mean, he's a Hall of Famer. Um, You can debate. We've talked about him not liking tackling. He was the best cover corner that I remember seeing. I mean, he was that good, and he was a great I mean, I've seen his film. I can't. I didn't see him, right? So, I mean, like, like if you're looking at film, he's the greatest cover corner I've seen on film of my lifetime being alive, uh, like, or being not alive, sorry, being able to witness the sport. Um, Revis was probably the best cover. Yeah, but he was very good. But well-rounded. Like, and, I, and I know this is an argument for another day. A lot of people put Deion number one. I got Woodson at one all day, and I'm sure I'm biased because of Michigan, but it's like he could blitz, he could tackle, he could cover, he could catch, he could return. He could play offense. He was a, he was a finisher, and Deion played offense too. I, he was the best. Re- Deion could have made a living and a good living off of just being a return guy. He was that electric, especially on punts, which if you return a punt, in my view, you're nuts. You know, if I got that, to pick a, a multi-purpose guy that's also going to be my returner, I, I think it's hands down Deion. But if I got to pick just a returner that's only a returner, I got Devin Hester all day. Oh, I, yeah. And I'm I'm just saying, I and I kind of, I, I don't know why Dion's doing this. They always say coaches want to be coaches, but he had a pretty good gig at the NFL network and I'm sure he was making decent money. I didn't care for his stick, but I'm sure he's making decent money. But you know, these college coaches, if you're going to coach at a big program or turn around even a Jackson state. And, and again, that was a prestigious athletic school years and years ago. And I mean, he really turned their program around on a dime. That is a lot of effort. I mean, recruiting and managing and, you know, staffing and all but that stuff. I think stuff. it's more than football. Uh, and, and I, I mean, you know, him I don't like credit. Dion. I, I don't. You know, 
I know. He drives me nuts. And I don't nuts. much either. But no, I don't either. This is just kind of how I was talking about that, like that speak and how he can communicate yeah. like on their level. Yeah. I, you've seen it before with, with coaches of his upbringing. Let's just call it what, what has made him who he is today. Um, and, and be having that competitive spirit, but being able to kind of talk that talk and, and reach through and maybe that's the best way to explain it is there are people of his status that have done it before and i i think this is the path that he's going down where he wants to give back because he's so well off but he also knows that his best way to give back is to get through to some of these kids that other people can't get through to and to give them opportunities that other people might not see because not only can he spot talent, but he also knows how to handle an attitude. He also knows how to handle a hot temper. He also knows how to talk shit to someone and get right up in their face, but make sure that they are hearing what he's saying and not just some coach, you know, soundboarding to a wall. And because he has the ability to command that respect because of his career, his status on TV and the money that he's being paid, he's able to get through on their level and also have that respect of being the role model they want to be. And so I think this is his calling, if you will, to, to give him the best opportunity to give back in a way that others can't. Well, it's a good point. I, I just, he's making a lot of noise. I'm really looking forward to seeing what he does there. I think he will be successful. I would be surprised if he's not, but he's making a lot of noise and you know, I know we're getting up on an hour and a half here and I wanted, I wanted to, um, you know, I know you mentioned the expansion onto the other, you know, media and yeah. or our podcast. So if you wanted to go over that again and, you know, just to where we're available and what the plans are for the future. Yeah, absolutely. So um, to wrap things up here, we, we are now available on Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Apple iTunes Store. Um, we are currently pending for the future for uh, Google Podcasts as well as um, Amazon Music. There, there's a little bit uncertainty with Amazon Music, whether we're available right this second or it'll be the future. It says we're available, um, but I haven't been able to find us as of this morning. Um, so hopefully we'll be discoverable here shortly on Amazon. But th those are the current platforms we have spread to and are in the process of spreading to um, Stitcher and a few other um, podcast hosting services are, are um, things that we will consider in the future and continue to move towards and progress so that we can expand our audience. But if you guys you know feel the urge to to support us or want to help us grow, Every view, every download, every like, whether it's on Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, or across them all, uh, they greatly help us. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, we obviously got some feedback last week about video. It's something we are looking into. You guys' opinions and voices are not going unheard. Um, it's definitely something we're looking into. And you know, we, we love hearing from you guys. We we appreciate the support and the, the consistency from our audience. So 
please, if if you're so inclined, go out and give us a like on all of the platforms that you listen to us on. Um, other than that, I'm ready to wrap it up. How about you, Dad? All right, buddy. And and again, thanks for all the hard work. I know that you're you know getting us getting the platforms expanded. You handle all that stuff. All I do is talk. So. I appreciate the hard work. <laughs> oh, that's half of it, though, is talking, right? But I, yeah. I appreciate it. But uh, no, it's all about exposure. So, so to everyone out there, if you like our podcast, share it with someone, please. Um, we, we'd love to have a bigger audience. We'd love to have more feedback. But um, on that note, be safe, be smart, make good choices, and peace out. Love you, Dad. Love you, too. Go Chiefs. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye.